welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome to your break from the hyperspace holiday rush. Great shot, kid, here on the Nerd Party Network, a podcast dedicated to analyzing the works of Star Wars creators. I am one of your hosts, John. And I'm Mike. And this week on Great Shot Kid, we are going to be analyzing, uh, looking back at the uh, Disney classic directed by Joe Johnston, The Rocketeer, which actually was, I remember it coming out, it, The Rock Who? That was a, a, a big time uh, marketing campaign. So, uh, you know, strap your rocket packs on. And uh, Mike, why don't you, in a nutshell, let everybody know what The Rocketeer is. The Rocketeer is a uh, movie based on a comic book by Dave Stevens, who is an amazing artist and comic booketeer. And <laughs> <laughs> um, it is about a guy who is a pilot, uh, a hotshot pilot in uh, good old 1938, and he stumbles across an experimental jetpack which allows him to fly around uh, without a plane. And yeah. uh, this jetpack is being sought after by the government and by the Nazis and by all sorts of people who are willing to kill him to get it. And he needs to uh, protect himself and his loved ones and perhaps become a superhero in the process. Yes. Uh, it is hands down a movie that you can watch and as i was re-watching it for this you you can look at it and you can say wow whoever did this was definitely heavily influenced by george lucas and steven spielberg there there is a stamp all over this film where you are half surprised in my opinion i was you know you're half surprised not to see a lucasfilm limited production on it yeah. There are so many sensibilities that carry through. And, of course, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, Johnston was one of the art team that helped shape the original Star Wars movies, um, the original trilogy, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. And uh, so he, he helped develop some of the artistic elements of three of the biggest movies of our youths. And uh, a lot of those artistic sensibilities carry through uh, very much. He helped with the storyboards on the original trilogy as well. So he definitely comes from a storyboard school of thought, uh, which I think is also reflected. Well, in addition in addition to Star Wars, of course, you know, he also, I mean, and, and in Star Wars, he was also a designer. He is, you know, the guy who basically created Boba Fett, right? I mean, that's he's yeah. credited with doing that. He created the the final designs for Boba Fett and for Yoda. Obviously, a lot of people worked on both of those, but yeah. Um and he he won an Oscar for Raiders of the Lost Ark for uh being part of the visual effects team. Yeah. And then after winning an Oscar for Raiders of the Lost Ark, he's talking with George Lucas or whatever, and he's saying that he wants to be a director or something along those lines. And Lucas says, well, what you should really do is go to uh, film school. You should go to USC. And he's like, let me pitch a, 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 an idea to you. This is Lucas talking to Johnston. Mm -hmm. Lucas is like, I will 
put in a good word for you at USC. I will pay your tuition and I will keep you on as a part-time employee so that you'll still be making a little bit of money on the side and you will go to film school and when you come back, you know, you'll have the tools that you need in order to be a filmmaker. So Joe Johnston, with an Oscar under his belt, <laughs> goes to film school, you know, mm -hmm. and studies how to be a filmmaker and then comes back and almost immediately, I think, makes uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And then, you know, as mm -hmm. well as this and, and working on the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles and everything. So, I mean, God, obviously Lucas saw something in him. You know, uh, obviously Lucas <laughs> saw something in him. And I also I love hearing stories like that, because I think what a, a lot of people lose sight of with Lucas as well is that he's always been about shepherding new talent through. Yeah. Uh, Johnston had the talent and he recognized it. But how many bosses out there, especially in creative fields, don't view somebody like Johnston as a threat? But instead say, hey, you know what? You do have something and I'm going to pay for school for you. Like, that's pretty yeah. That's a pretty fantastic thing. I just keep on thinking, because I went to film school. I didn't go to USC, but I went to film school, and I just keep on thinking of me and everyone who went with me. And I yeah. can just imagine if someone walked in and they're like, so, you know, oh, look, look at this, look at this older guy who's in his 30s, you know, what's he doing here? You know, what what do you, what do you want to be? He's like, well, you know, I've won an Oscar for Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's so crazy. That's so yeah. crazy. But yeah, obviously it worked yeah. out because we got the right. Yeah, it worked out pretty well. You know what? Because Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, um, that was a huge hit. Oh, that, yeah. I mean, that, that was a big mega hit back in the 80s. That was that was a, a, a fairly big staple for me when I was a kid growing up. Successful enough to uh, trigger a sequel. Yeah. And you know, a, which is, you know, that that's pretty solid. And a TV you know. show, I think, right? It was a TV show for a little while. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, and, gosh, I haven't thought back on that. And a couple wow. of uh a couple of um amusement park attractions. Oh yeah, yeah, Disney World. They had a they had a Honey I Shrunk the Kids uh 3D movie, didn't they? Yeah, Honey I Shrunk the Audience. Yeah, that's right. So aside but, from from shrinking kids, we get the Rocketeer, which is very much a a movie that is you know of the milieu that that speaks to a great big influence on a lot of filmmakers in the 80s which is nazi bad guys set in the 1930s serialized action and that art deco sensibility uh that that we see creeping in this was my first time revisiting it in a while what was your reaction on revisiting it um, I guess I had seen it. Uh, might have been earlier this year, or at some point last year, on on the big screen. Um, they do this thing, or did this thing called Disney Screen, where they would show like four Disney movies a day, every single day, at this theater way out in the suburbs. Wow, it's very strange. Every yeah. single day, you could pay like five bucks and watch four Disney movies every day. Anyway, that, that's either a great or a terrible day. Yeah, depending on the movie. Um, yeah. So, so they were showing Rocketeer one day, and I'm like, oh, I definitely want to go see that, you know. And and watching it again uh, tonight, you know, I I was impressed. Definitely, you could see the Raiders of the Lost Ark influence on it and everything, and that that type of of story. But you know, you could also definitely see um, why they picked him to direct uh, Captain America: The First Avenger. You oh know? yes. Oh, hands down, <laughs> yes. Because yeah, they, I mean. You know, Terry O'Quinn as Howard Hughes is basically, 
you know, Tony Stark's dad in Captain America. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's it's 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 definitely a solid movie. I mean, one of the things which which I always found to be really interesting about it is, you know, when I was in high school, you know, a few years after this movie came out, I was working at a comic book store with, you know, the biggest comic book snobs on the planet. And, <laughs> you know, this was I mean, this came out what like a couple years after Batman, you know, the Tim Burton yeah. Batman, right? Yes. So so obviously Batman was all the rage, you know, in, in the, the mainstream. And that was, you know, one of my favorite movies at the time, too. You know, I mean, to this day, my friend Josh will never not make fun of me for when <laughs> I made a top 10 list of my favorite movies of all time. And one of the movies on the list was Batman Returns because I had only seen like 20 movies, you know, so whatever. Batman Returns made it to the list. But okay. The, these guys were super snobby when it came to, well, everything, but especially comic book movies, you know? And sure. you put something like Batman in front of them, and they say, like, that's nothing like the comic. That's garbage. You know, that's just mainstream, whatever. And there were very, very few comic book movies back then. I'm sure there'd be a lot more now, but very, very few comic book movies back then, which got a pass from them, which which right. earned the one-stop comics seal of approval. And <laughs> uh, The Rocketeer was definitely one of them. You know, that movie, I think, more than any other live-action movie, was sort of, like, seen as... Uh, a true adaptation of the comic, you know, something right. which definitely captured the look and feel and spirit of the comic, even if yes. certain things were changed, you know? Yes. Well, yeah, it, it, it definitely has that, uh, that energy, that exuberance and that it's so interesting because I think you can look at something like the Rocketeer and it's very much evocative of, you know, comic books as they were understood before the, the dark times before the Frank Miller era. And in a sense, it's so fascinating to me to go back and watch it because I remember that they were trying to evoke this with the Dick Tracy movie mm -hmm. and they failed miserably yeah. like that. That was just a uh, bluff. Whereas this one, I think what comes through more than anything is that Johnston is of the school where he totally understood and loved the source material that he was working with and the time period. And that there's a very much a loving evocation uh, throughout the entire film where it, it has no pretensions about what it's doing. It's not trying to be. And now keep in mind, you know, Captain America uh, winter soldier is one of my favorite uh, comic book movies ever. And, you know, is actually one of my, my favorite movies that I've seen in recent years because of the themes it deals with, which are very, you know, government surveillance and overreach and, you know, individuality and personal freedoms and all of that stuff. But the Rocketeer belongs to that school of let's have some fun. And it's uh, this is going to be crazy and zany and alternate history. And we're just going to forget the world for two hours and have a blast. And I, I it, there's such a charm about that, that any any shortcoming it has otherwise I have to overlook. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that, that is kind of like how the comic book feels as well. I mean, you brought up, you know, like Frank Miller and the dark Knight returns and everything like that. Yeah. And the comic book came out around that same time, you know, it was like in the mid eighties and I don't know if it was a response to it or if it was just sort of, you know, I mean, one, another thing in the marketplace, but either way, you know, it definitely has that 
sort of light, zany feel as well. Like the comic book feels like it was almost written in the 30s, you know? Right. As opposed to being sort of like a deconstruction of the format or anything like that. And, right. you know, like you're saying, the movie definitely, you know, captures that as well. And and I think that, that it does a, a really good job. You know, the, the casting, I think, is, is really, really good. You know, oh, absolutely spot on. And I think I I'll even go so far as to say that this movie is responsible for everybody not completely hating Timothy Dalton for uh License to Kill. Okay. Um, you know, All the right. second James Bond movie. No, seriously, because this is in a large sense, I think that his his portrayal, even though it's the villain in this, he has a lot of the Bond qualities that people wanted out of Bond. That mm-hmm. he never got a chance to play with. He's very Roger Moore-ish, if you will, yeah. in this. And so you see, I think you can see very much that had they said to him, be a little looser and a little zanier, the way Roger Moore was, he could have pulled it off. So you can, I mean, I can almost do this sort of mental transference of taking him from this and moving that sort of energy and delivery into Bond and say, oh, what if? Mm-hmm. Oh, I could see that happen. I could see that work. Makes yeah, sense. It's weird because I mean this came out just a couple of years after, you know, License to Kill. Well, Living Daylights was eighty seven. This was ninety one. What when License, when License to Kill to was kill? like eighty nine. Okay. Yes. So Yeah, because yes, because License to Kill was almost in a sense a response to Die Hard. Yeah. They thought that's the way they needed to go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well there you go then. <laughs> Oops. But uh yeah, um I, I mean it is it is weird because he, he does sort of, you know, here he is playing the, the bad guy and everything like that. I mean that's interesting. And, you know, he has taken on I think a lot more roles like this, you know, later on in his career, you know, thinking about like, you know, hot fuzz and, and that sort yes. of thing. You know, yes. and, and he it's weird because it's really hard to get out of that James Bond shadow, you know. I mean sure. some, some people never do and you know, he was able to do that for sure and really, really quickly, I think, you know, which which yeah. works. And, you know, Billy Campbell, of course, you know, he's extremely oh. charming. You know, he was he, the, the runner-up for uh, Riker back in back in the day. That so. would have been such a different Riker. Yeah, yeah, it would, it would have worked, but, you know, I, I don't know, Jonathan Frakes is Jonathan Frakes. I mean, no, I, I agree it would have worked, but it would have been way different, and I can't see him rocking a beard the same way that uh, Frakes does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No. And he's really great on the 4400. I don't know if you've seen that. Right? No, I haven't watched that. Oh, so good, so good. Iris Stephen Bear, you know, just oh. whatever. Um, wrong franchise, but regardless. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, there's Jennifer Connelly, who's amazing in everything. Oh, she became a heartthrob for a ton of my friends after this movie came out. Oh, like, just just your friends, not you? I'm impervious to such considerations, oh, Mike. Okay. I was looking with a purely critical eye while I was a junior in high school. <laughs> I wasn't, no, I didn't even notice. I was like, oh, there was a girl on screen? Oh, I didn't even know. I was, I was paying attention to plot. That's one of the really interesting things about the comic book is in the comic book, the character's name is Betty. And she's very, very, very much inspired, like to the point of it being, you know, definitely without question, um, an homage to Betty Page. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dave Stevens has done a lot of like Betty Page, like pinup artwork and everything like that. And there's a rumor that somewhere in the movie is Betty Page. She's in the background. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. Whether or not that's true, who knows? But that's the that's the rumor in Hollywood is that she's well, there. 
you you know what you know what's really interesting is uh, like as we're talking about it like my esteem for it is actually going up even more than when I uh, when I rewatched it and that's that's interesting because I'm realizing I liked it even I liked it again even more than I thought I did but when I rewatched it this time I watched it with my oldest daughter and what I realized was that there are a lot of things sort of cultural references in the same vein as Aladdin where very funny for my parents, funny for me by transference and because sort of indoctrinated with the sensibility because Lucas and Spielberg, you know, very much, you know, called back to those things with the Raiders movies. But in this movie, there's W.C. Fields and there's Howard Hughes and there, like there are all of these callbacks to the era that my daughter has zero idea what they're talking about or why I chuckle when I see him throw the plans in and they have, you know, and he says, uh, you know, because I'm Howard Hughes. And I'm like, hey, 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 hey. and I have to look at her and say, I'll explain to you who Howard Hughes is, honey. He had an interesting life. We'll watch The Aviator tomorrow. Yeah, right. Or or why I'm chuckling when the model of the spruce goose is, you know, glided out of the, the hangar and he goes, it really does fly. You know, I mean. She has absolutely no idea why that's such a funny scene. Mm. And it's it's but it's one of those things where she still chuckled at it. She thought it was funny simply because it was a guy flying on a model, you know, to coast out to, you know, to escape. And it's working on this other level for me. And it it just reminds me of our discussion about the callbacks in Rogue One, Mm -hmm. where these are the way you do callbacks like she might not understand why them seeing wc fields is funny but she can understand at the least that this character is a bit of a lech and Mm -hmm. thinks he's funnier than he actually is and you know like she can understand in the context of the of the movie it doesn't matter whether she knows who wc fields really was yeah what what was your daughter's reaction to the movie on the whole her words were that she thought it was fun and she liked it but i could tell that she wasn't nuts about it she was not unhappy that she watched it, but she wasn't clamoring to watch it again. Usually I can tell with my kids, the movies that they really like are the ones where same day they will come to me and they will say, I'd like to watch that again. Yeah. Which does happen. You know, when when we see certain movies, we'll leave and they'll talk about how they can't wait to watch it again when it comes out on video or, you know, in a rare circumstance, you know, could we go back to the theater and watch it again? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but uh, this one, her reaction was, I liked it. I was like, okay, great, honey. I'm glad you did. That's interesting because I don't know if you remember, um, but back in July, they announced that uh, they're developing a sequel to The Rocketeer called The Rocketeers. And while, while it is, you know, sort of a reimagining, it's also apparently going to be in the same universe you know that kind of thing yeah but this time around uh there's going to be i guess multiple rocketeers i don't know but the lead character is uh going to be as they describe it a black female pilot who takes up the rocketeer mantle six years after the events of the original movie 
Fascinating. So they're definitely going for the younger demographic. They're going for, you know, the kids sure. and everything like that, which I think is is really cool because when you look at this movie, even though it is, you know, very much sort of like a comic book movie and everything, it also does feel like you're saying like a Disney movie. Like this is something that you could watch with the whole family, you know, even more so than, you know, like Captain America. You know what I mean? And yeah. And that's that's kind of cool, and I'm guessing that they're going to continue that trend with the Rocketeers, you know. But see that what's so fascinating about that to me is I, I was actually refreshed in a sense at the end of this, because I looked at it and I said, "Wow, they contained it. They didn't actually leave some sort of nugget for a sequel. You don't see, you don't have something where they say at the end, oh yeah, but I hid this one over there or.'" You know, the, the way that however they do a sequel with this, they're going to have to pull one of those uh, uh, Lost World gags where it's like, uh, but on this other island, we had more dinosaurs. You know, they're, they're going to have to do that because the Rocketeer is completely self-contained and it's completely happy with just being done at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here, here's here's the description as it was reported in Hollywood Reporter. The new take keeps the story in a period setting and offers a fresh view on the characters. Set six years after the Rocketeer and after Secord has vanished while fighting the Nazis, an unlikely new hero emerges, a young African-American female pilot who takes up the mantle of the Rocketeer in an attempt to stop an ambitious and corrupt rocket scientist from stealing jetpack technology in what could prove to be a turning point in the Cold War. So in in some ways it feels like kind of a remake, you know. In they're the almost Cold like Cold War, Force Awakenings. It, yeah, yeah. Cold, Cold War seems well. Okay, if this was thirty eight, then and I mean six years later it's going to be forty four. So it's World War Two still won't won't even be over with yet. Correct, because VJ Day was in forty five. Yeah. So, so yeah. Well. Who knows? Mm. Who knows exactly how how all that'll. Work it's because they're hiring kids that don't know their time periods, Mike. <laughs> I'm sure. That's although what it I is. mean, although actually, I mean, the thing is, it's not like Stalin was exactly really actually an ally mm-hmm. in uh, in World War II, and you know the the acrimony started well before that war finished. So, you know, I could buy it. I could see that. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting that Disney kind of does this. You know, I mean, they did it with Force Awakens. You know, where yep. you know it's it's kind of a remake in a lot of ways, but it's also definitely a sequel and building on the original. They did it with Tron Legacy. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'd be very curious to know how many you know average moviegoers had seen Tron prior to going into Tron Legacy. You know, I always think of that Simpsons Halloween special where Homer goes into uh, the 3D world. Has anybody seen Tron? No, 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 no. Yes. I mean, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much how it works, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, even so much so that when that movie starts up, it just says Tron, you know? It doesn't even right. say Tron Legacy until the end. Like, you don't need to see the first one. And, you know, to be honest, you really don't need to see the first one. Cause... Actually, you really don't. It's a lot better in your memory than it is in actuality. Yeah. Yeah. But that second one. Oh, man masterpiece uh, listen man I, I i'm still mad they won't make a tron 3 still yeah. mad about it yeah yeah it's just bogus you can bring back the rocketeer but you can't give me tron 3 come on guys <laughs> it's the same company disney yep don't hide behind these lies yep sorry oh well bring and have joe johnston direct it have joe johnston direct it and speaking of joe johnston directing things you know 
I mean, here we've got a guy in a jetpack with a cool helmet, you know, <laughs> very similar to another Joe Johnston creation. That's uh, true. That being Boba Fett. And this is the first time I, the, this is back before the Disney sale, okay? They mm. were like re-releasing the Rocketeer on Blu-ray. And as part of the sort of promotional thing, they did a screening at the El Capitan in, in L.A., and uh, Joe Johnston and a lot of other people uh, behind the scenes and I think in front of the camera were present for this this screening. And it was moderated by Kevin Smith. And after the thing, you know, you know, happened or whatever, Kevin Smith, who's a big fan of the movie, was talking about how he was talking to Joe Johnston. And Joe Johnston said that he really wanted to make a Boba Fett movie. And Kevin Smith mm-hmm. was like... I mean, Lucas should just do it. Lucas should just give him the money. It's, it's like you're printing money at that point, you know? Yeah. Everyone will go see a Boba Fett movie. You've got a, a top-tier filmmaker who wants to do it. Just do it. And then when the whole thing happened where it came out that, you know, the the you know postponed um, anthology movie it was a, a Boba Fett movie, which Josh Trank was directing, you know, from a script by Simon Kinberg and everything. And then, you know, Trank, you know, left the project for whatever reason, you know, I mean, the very first thing I did as soon as I heard that was, I was like Joe Johnston for uh Boba Fett movie, you know, get Joe Johnston to direct the Boba Fett movie. And like, I, yeah. tw- I tweeted that and Joe Johnston favorited the tweet and then i started nice. looking and i was not the only person by any stretch of the imagination who was like they should get joe johnston to direct boba fett and joe yeah. johnston was like yep yep you know yeah. so well i mean and the thing is he's worked for disney in the past rocketeer is a disney movie honey i shrunk the kids captain america captain america the first avenger yeah. which is i mean here look at that i mean the correlation there is so yeah. perfect, right? I mean, you're talking about Captain America, which is a standalone movie in this larger universe where, like, the Avengers are the episode movies, and yeah. then the character, you know, standalones are the anthology movies or the stories, right? I right. mean, this is what you're talking about doing. You're talking about giving him a lower-level Star Wars movie, something yeah. which he obviously knows a lot about because he was there from day one. A fair amount. He does, yeah. He, he created the freaking character, at least the look of him, you the know, look, in a, yeah, in a lot well, of ways. I mean, obviously, there yeah. were a lot of people, that, you know, who were involved, but he was instrumental in the creation of Boba Fett. Let's put it that way. Right. He was very much. And I think that, um, you know, I didn't even think about the Boba Fett connection until you like started talking about it's a guy with a rocket pack and a cool episode. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> Although uh, if, if you do yeah. look at like the, the character design in Rocketeer, I mean, it's pretty much exactly the same as the comic. Yeah. Well, yes. But at the same time, I think that there is uh, it should not be underestimated how challenging it is to. Uh, make that live and breathe in a world with real people. That's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I definitely think also that, um, you know, cause I, w- I was thinking about this while I was watching, while I was watching the Rocketeer and I, I'll say pound for pound. It's the best thing Johnston's ever done, which I... doesn't take anything away. I liked it better than Captain America. I liked, I definitely liked it better than Jumanji. Yeah, Jumanji. Not care for Jumanji at all. Jumanji Everybody and Wolfman are are kind of weak, yeah. you know. I have to say, but um, I mean, I, I I do love the Rocketeer, but I, I'd have to give Captain America the 
the the number one spot in the Joe Johnson. Well, I guess I'll have to go back and rewatch Captain America: The First Avenger to see how I feel about that. But yeah, you know that you do raise a good point because looking at this, everything about this it's structured. There, the plot is well well put together. It's edited nicely. It looks good. It flows really well. Um, the Horner score is actually one of the better Horner scores. I'd forgotten he did this soundtrack. Was this so James when, Horner, really? Yeah. It didn't sound like him at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he obviously is a guy who can, you know, get the job done and, you know, can tell a story that is, you know, look, it's enjoyable for somebody who is in his 40s watching it with his child who is substantially less you know, less old, uh, and they both can plug into it and enjoy it. You know, like you said, it's a family thing. It'd be interesting because I don't think Boba Fett should be something where I'm taking my kids and be like, "Hey, let's go watch this guy slaughter people, kids." It's you know? uh, he's he's a proven talent. You know, yeah. inside the confines that you know he would be working with this Boba Fett movie, he proven at that specific studio. Not yeah. to mention the fact that he was instrumental in the creation of this franchise. So it only makes sense. There's, he is, I mean, few things, you know, I mean, this is like the, you know, the equivalent of when, you know, they, they got, you know, Brian Fuller to, you know, create Star Trek Discovery. It's like, it just makes sense. All of the pieces fit in place so well that it's the type of thing where they would be crazy not to get Joe Johnston. And yet it's so perfect that when they get Joe Johnston to direct it, it's going to blow all of our minds because things this perfect usually don't happen. They usually don't. I certainly hope they do this time. Yes, which apparently, I mean, the word on the street now, the rumors floating around the internet the past few days are that the uh, Boba Fett movie is back on track. You know, I think the, the, probably the box office at Rogue One, you know, convinced them that there is, you know, money to be made from from these uh, Star Wars stories. And and also the, the money that it's making justifies a heavy studio hand and lots of notes. Well, that's true, too. But he's someone yeah. who can take them, you know? I mean... Oh, no doubt. No yeah. doubt. So No doubt. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you know, Johnston knows what Disney wants out mm-hmm. of a movie. He's proven that time and time again, and he has delivered consistent hits through his career. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Definitely. So you recommend it for people to rent and watch The Rocketeer if they haven't seen it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. You know, especially, you know, with the, the comic book movie craze being at an all-time high, I think that, you know, this might be a hidden gem from another era when comic book movies were kind of looked down upon that captures the the feel um, of a lot of the movies which are, you know, uh, beloved today. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't seen The Rocketeer and you're a fan of comic book movies, you know, especially like the Marvel Universe, Check yeah. it out because it definitely feels like, you know, a, a, a prototypical Marvel movie. Completely agree with you. And I will tack on that it's also fun to watch simply for the fact that you're seeing a movie about a guy with a jetpack before the computer revolution. Mm-hmm. You will, it will be hard to watch this and not think to yourself, oh, they totally do this in 3D and that would be CG at this point. <laughs> yeah. Whereas they use a lot of blue screen and practical windblown effects and those sorts of things throughout the entire thing. And it, I mean, you know, in a sense, it's a swan song for a forgotten era in that, in that way as well. Yeah. 
So, okay. Well, we both recommend it, and we uh, both think you should go out and see it. We also think that you should help support the Nerd Party Network by going over to lootcrate.com slash nerdparty, enter the code nerdparty, and get your discount on a uh, on a box of goodies sent to you once a month uh, covering everything from your different geek desires. There's a different theme every single month. It's delivered straight to you. T-shirts, collectibles, rare goodies that you can't get anywhere else. They're sent to you through Loot Crate. Go to lootcrate.com slash nerdparty. Use the code nerdparty. If you want to reach out to Great Shot Kid and uh, send us a note, maybe you've seen The Rocketeer, you have a different take, or we, we missed something, go to thenerdparty.com slash contact. Look up Great Shot Kid. Send us an email through there. We will uh, we will respond to you. We uh, we we had a, a recent note from one of our listeners, and we'd love to interact with even more of you. And uh, Mike, if they want to reach out to you online, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at mumbles three k, and you can also find me on commentarytrackstars.com doing uh, uh, hopefully some some rather consistent new episodes of Commentary Track Stars, uh, where we do a lot of commentaries and other things. Just did a commentary for Mad Max Fury Road, so be sure to check that out. And you can also find me on Trek.fm, where uh, today uh, we just released the very last episode of From There to Here. And uh, we, I also do another show called Stage 9, where we look at the people who make Star Trek with John. Yes, with me. And so uh, if you if you uh, want to learn about the creators of Star Trek, especially the creators of Discovery that are coming up, uh, go over to stage nine over in the Trek.fm network and where Mike and I discuss those creators. Uh, or you can stay here on the Nerd Party Network and hear me talking with Matt Rushing on Aggressive Negotiations where we delve into some of the stranger aspects of Star Wars uh, itself, the, the different story beats and themes. And you can also find me over on uh, Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. And then, of course, you know, go online and look for Kessel Junkie. That's me. Mm-hmm.